I'm Laura. And I'm Georgiana. And this is Decanterbury Tales. Got my coffee and I'm still in my bed, which is like, you know, a glorious place to be. And <laughs> I finally washed my hair, which, ooh, let's, let's be real. That was some dry shampoo for a couple of days. Mm. Mm, yeah, no, I actually got up and I'm sitting upright at my desk. So we've made positive strides this morning. You're so official. Why are you trying to one up with me with being at a desk? I told you I showered. No, you. I didn't shower. So we're even. We're even. Okay. You at desk, me in bed, me showered, you not showered. All right. <laughs> Perfection. <laughs> well, good morning, everybody else. Welcome to Decanterbury Tales. Our boozy book club, where we discuss books and beverages. Yeah, we are. And and this month, we are doing The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid. I mean, lucky for her. I know it's not spelled R-E-A-D, but, like, she was meant to be an author. Yeah, she has such an authory name. Yeah, Reid, but with an I. Um, also, so, yeah. happy, uh Women's History Month. Yes, Happy Women's History Month. Major reason we picked this book because Evelyn's a boss. Yes, whether you and agree with her actions or not, she is definitely a picture of a strong, independent woman. Absolutely. So we love supporting that. And we hope you enjoyed our interview with Danielle, Danielle Renee. Renee and... Because she's awesome and also a fabulous business lady who has the side hustle of painting with wine. Oh, yeah. And Which, download that PDF on our episode notes and send us your wine paintings. Tag us. Yes. Paint, paint. Paint away at DecanterberryPod, dot, at DecanterberryPod on Instagram and the thing with the Twitter. bird. Twitter. <laughs> the thing with the bird. The thing with the bird. The coffee has not kicked in yet. No, it has not. We're working on it. (laughs) Okay, wait. uh, People may not know this, but you're like a coffee aficionado. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I worked at a very bougie coffee shop in New Orleans for a year and some change. And it really, and even before then, I loved coffee. But yes. I am very particular about my coffee and it like I won't drink McDonald's coffee unless I'm dying and it's a desperate thing like it has to be a certain color I yeah it's I have uh in my house alone we have a really fancy coffee maker for daily coffee we have a pour over a french press an espresso maker I think that's it right now coffee aficionado as I said so my question here is I am not and I'm an iced coffee drinker but I'm particular about my iced coffee okay so I had cold brew from Nola brought to me because it is the only it is the superior drip coffee it's really good and so my question is is three shots of coffee in the morning too much for an iced coffee are you diluting it with water or with milk? Both. Three shots. Of- no, because that's like the equivalent of like two and a half cups of coffee somewhere. In okay. There. okay. So that's not bad. Okay. That's normal. So I drink way too much coffee. So maybe you're not the most reliable person for me to ask this question to. No, I mean, if you said it was like five or six shots, I'd be like, your heart is going to give out in two months. <laughs> Well, we, that's why I take blood pressure medication to slow that sucker down to balance out my, uh, my, my coffee. coffee. Yeah. And then the, like, I got back into diet Coke. I was doing so good. Mm. But now, now that I work evening, sometimes I need like my afternoon jolt. Yeah. So, so it's a diet Coke in the afternoon because coffee is not as readily accessible. Nice. How's the job going? Job is good. Job is good. Enjoy the job. Getting back into the 
just the, the swing of working, you know, after this year has definitely been an adjustment. I'm grateful yeah. for it and I've missed it, certainly. But, you know, and I was also a student in that point getting my MBA within this past year. And so that's just a completely different vibe of work. I'm not going to say that it's not work because anybody in grad school can tell you that it is a job in itself. Yeah. Um, yeah, you were so, so busy. Just getting back into a different mind frame, I guess, is Yeah, the great. work mindset, especially if you've been home and kind of have been able to make your own schedule for so long, it's, it's a big adjustment. And with school, you know, you always take that sort of work home with you. But then this is like, I need to leave my work at work and I don't need to bring that home with me because one night I didn't sleep because I had so much anxiety about like trying to fix a problem I was having. <laughs> and so I, I stayed up all night trying to fix it, like flow charts, like trying to figure out like how this was going to work and different options. And, you know, it just, I need to not do that. So yeah, I, I love my job. I love what I'm doing. I'm so happy to be there and I'm so grateful and I'm learning so much. That's great. But I need to like learn to leave work at work. Yeah, I am. Uh, I am really bad about that, especially since where I work, I am the digital human. So where people will send like a Facebook message to the company and I have to respond kind of in a reasonable amount of time. Otherwise they get really mad and just kind of learning how to unplug is so hard. It's hard in general personally, but especially when your job is so being at the ready and hands-on all the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Being able to just pull away is hard, but an amazing form of self-care. Yes. And I think that's probably the one thing that we learned in this past year that, you know, I hope we as a society take with us is that we were forced to do nothing. Yeah. But putting in good practices, like people started gardening and baking. And for us, it was reading, you know, we've always read, but we, you know, took it to a whole new level. My garden did look beautiful. Exactly. So, you know, hopefully we can take those good habits and practices that we brought into our lives and maintain them for our souls as we move forward. Did you you pick up a weird quarantine obsession? Mine was cottagecore. I was like obsessed with cottagecore. What is that? You've never told me about this. Yeah, it was like it's like the girls in like the flowy dresses and it's like a return to kind of quaint lifestyle and it's like the gardening and the tea brewing and the bread making and like it's all of it strawberry I wanted the strawberry dress so bad I was like please can I just find the strawberry dress so I can traipse around my backyard with my garden (laughs) (laughs) that was my big obsession it's like all I was looking at on the internet on Instagram I was just like hashtag cottagecore give it all to me well, there you go. That's that's what Laura took away from from quarantine. <laughs> I I I love a, I've always loved cooking, but I mm-hmm. got into cooking and that's something I need to like figure out with my new schedule is how I can cook like I used to or change how I cooked previously that works more with the schedule because I love cooking I do yeah like I get excited about roasting a chicken and guys roasting a chicken super easy not hard at all and it takes like no prep time whatsoever it's mostly bake time so that I just I would like to kind of I I love cooking that's what I got into and just maybe check out like a hello fresh situation I then you can cut out your grocery store situation I have a a promotional item for HelloFresh, so I should. I've I've thought about doing that, but 
at the end of the day, part of the fun of cooking for me is like almost like the chopped vibe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to figure out what you're doing. Right. And you just, okay, I've got like noodles, green onion, and an egg. Like, what can I make? time. Exactly. (laughs) So, you know, that's kind of like how I enjoy cooking is kind of making it up as I go along. And I, mm, what's the word? Um, Recipes are kind Mm -hmm. of like inspiration and motivational tools. Yeah. To push me. I just the Joy of Cooking cookbook. The one that's like, you know, three times the size of the Bible. And (laughs) I started flipping through it. That thing is huge and my mom my mom put me in my place uh we were talking about cooking and I told her that I you know was looking for a specific recipe and she was like well flip up on the joy of cooking and I was just like what do you mean she's like you don't own the joy of cooking (laughs) like it was blasphemy that I didn't (laughs) own that cookbook it's like a 55 dollar (laughs) cookbook you know but if it has everything in it then like one stop shopping it does. Uh, and so, of course, after being shamed by my mother, I went and bought it and I love it. So I recommend if you're looking for a cookbook, that and the Julia Child French cooking cookbook is next on my list. Mm. Yep. Yep. Love a cookbook. Love a cookbook. It's a book. It's a book. It's, it's a, a book, book in any look, form. We're back to where we <laughs> It's a book. We love a book. So shall we get in? Oh, we wanted to discuss what we're watching, reading, listening to. Yes. So kick us off. I am reading the Bad Muslim Discount. Laura has already finished it. It's by Syed Masood. And it's fabulous. I'm really enjoying it. The cover is a dream. The book is a dream it but it's it's uncomfortable it's it makes me think which I'm really enjoying so I'm really glad wait. that you're liking it I am enjoying it and then I'm watching this is so not fun I'm re-watching Grey's Anatomy because my soul needed to be better and when I need to be taken care of, I just watch Grey's Anatomy because nothing makes me happier. And I am at the beginning of season three, which I forgot how much I appreciated the episode where they get stuck in quarantine because they think they're that the plague or the plague is there and they don't want people to be sick. And then Derek just walks into Meredith's house and says, I love you. And they sit Shiva for Denny. And it was just a beautiful episode. So Grey's Anatomy also watching succession on HBO and listening. I'm, I need to get back into my listening. I did listen Obviously to I, <laughs> I did listen to um the Carrie Mulligan movie that just came out or yeah that just came out Promising Young Woman. I listened to that soundtrack which was great. Enjoyed that and then Drinks by CYN came back in my shuffle and I vibed there. So nice. That's where I am. Awesome. Well, I have been reading a ridiculous amount. Uh, I got into kind of a fervor after beach trip and have read. (laughs) Um, Some of these were from um, what's called suggestions or recommendations from you. So we've got My Year of Rest and Relaxation. I love that book so much. Oh, it was it was tough. It was tough. It's an emotional roller coaster. I did I... laugh at several points. Yes. <laughs> uh the part where she's on the train and she wakes up and doesn't realize what she's been doing 
and she reaches over and grabs a water bottle and takes a big swig and it just says it was gin and yep. I just like cracked up laughing I was like oh ouch um my year of rest and relaxation nothing to see here bad muslim discount which was very very good and after I finished it I was like you must 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 read it's fantastic and we both read outlawed outlawed and uh I'm almost done I think I have like 10 pages less left of the last apothecary and that book is incredible I have been I'll go back and like slow down my reading it's a really quick read but I am intentionally reading it slower because I am enjoying it so much beautiful 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 book definitely a contender for the podcast just putting some stars out there so people listen so (laughs) I've also read this month um uh the midnight library great and the guest list, which was great. And I have a couple people who have been reading the guest list and they want to discuss it. So maybe we'll do a little mini chat. Ooh, yeah. About a the mini, guest a list. Mini-sode about the guest list. I could do that. Yep. Because yep. we read so many and not all of them, I think, are contenders for like big episodes. But I definitely think some of them are worth a discussion. So, yep. Fun. Uh, what am I watching? Uh, I've been watching the Great British Bake Off. The most recent season came out, and it is a during quarantine season. So these people had to volunteer to be because normally they can go back and forth between filming. They can go home. This one, they are staying in basically like a tiny British Bake Off village, and so like they're all separated from their house so that they're not going back and forth and spreading COVID. So. It's a really uplifting season. I'm only two episodes in and it's good. And then listening to, I'm listening to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast, um, which is so funny. If you like Law & Order SVU, it is hilarious. Uh, Of course, I'm listening to My Favorite Murder. Did you see, did you see that they are doing an OC podcast where Melinda Clark and Rachel Bilson go back and watch all the episodes of the OC and talk no. about it. I cannot wait. <laughs> I cannot wait. I mean, the OC, the OC shaped, shaped my youth, man. That was, I mean, Chris Mica. Chris Mica. Welcome to the OC, bitch. <laughs> oh, man. We're trying to be yeah, stealth. And I'm also listening to Wine and Crime, uh, which is basically what we do, but with true crime stories. And there you go. Instead of books. Yeah, so that's what I'm reading, watching, and listening to. We want to chit-chat about our wine pairing. Yes. Yes, we do. So... For this month, we kind of wanted to give a fancy, a fancy champs, a fancy, a fancy drink on a budget because this is, the book is old Hollywood. It's fancy. It's the, the A-list, but a lot of red carpet. We're on a budget. And what makes me think of red carpets? Champagne. So I personally have an obsession with Mamoso. It is a champagne from France. And yes, so I pulled it up. <laughs> and it's it's not I don't believe it's from the Champagne region. No. So technically it's considered a sparkling wine because it's not from Champagne. But may I tell you that it is the most just bang for your buck delicious it runs like $15 a bottle but it tastes more like a $30 bottle and it's one that yeah you know there's some champagnes that you buy that you're like I'm definitely putting orange juice in this this champagne is I will drink it by itself I don't want to put orange juice in it because it's that good and 
when you ever you have a party and people, you know, want champagne and you buy this, people think you're really fancy because it tastes fancy. They would never know. It does. It ta- it tastes like wealth. Mm-hmm. So a couple of notes about Mama So price point were between twelve and fifteen dollars on your bottle. The rough critic score that I'm looking at online, it's averaging like an 87 out of 100, which is high and like a four out of five. So that's just beautiful ratings. Uh, Style is fresh and youthful, which I think is fun. And then it's a blend of Chenin Blanc and Chardonnay grapes, but it's not an oaky flavor at all. Um, So you're looking for, it's very fresh, very light, very fun. Obviously it's bubbles. So, and it's primarily a Chenin Blanc grape with some Chardonnay thrown in. Mm -hmm. And And some interesting facts about where it's from. The Loire Valley, it's a key wine region in Western France. And it follows the course of the Loire River. And it is... um, No, no, no. Cut this out. Laura can't read. I can't read today. Uh, But this wine particularly falls in. eh. This wine falls in some of the more affordable category of white wines from this area. So if you're wanting to branch out into different areas of France to try to expand your wine palette, this is a great place to go. Mm -hmm. I love the brute. Love it. It's my go-to. Yes. So go for the brute. Yep. So cheers, Mamu. So go grab yourself a bottle, guys. If you have not already gotten on the Mamu Sewn train, welcome. Welcome. Choo-choo. It's leaving the station right now. Hop on. Mm-hmm. It's all so good. It's, I mean, it's 10, 15 on a Saturday morning, and I feel like I need a glass. Ooh. <sighs> That might be a later today plan. No, it's not. Oh, it is my friend's birthday. So maybe I'll go grab a bottle and I'll surprise her with a bottle. Well, that's sweet. Celebrations. Yeah. Happy birthday, Leah. Happy birthday. Uh, (laughs) uh, We did get an email to the podcast. If you have a suggestion or a book suggestion, write us an email to decanterburypod at gmail.com. Amber wrote us a message and said that uh, for people listening to the podcast that have read the book, we're not ruining anything for them by going through a brief plot synopsis. And for people who haven't read the book and have no intention of reading the book, they don't care if we read a plot synopsis. So the suggestion was that we give a brief, uh, detailed plot synopsis of the book so that the rest of the podcast makes sense for them. And I think that's a great idea. It's a great idea. And so maybe we say, if you haven't read the book and you do care, maybe this is where you pause and come back after you read the book because spoilers will ensue yes we are now riddled with spoilers all right so are we ready to dip into this story of the seven husbands of evelyn hugo yes all right so we start off uh this leading you kind of have two protagonists here We start off with Monique Grant, who is in her 30s, and she is a writer for Vivant Magazine, which to me gives off very um, Devil Wears Prada vibes. I'm with that. You know, very, very fast-paced fashion, cutting-edge stories, Vogue-ish situation. Uh, But Monique finds out that she has been requested to interview reclusive actress who is an aging Hollywood starlet, Evelyn Hugo, uh, regarding her decision to auction off all of her dresses in order to make a donation to a breast cancer charity following the death of her daughter from breast cancer. So the reason that this kind of raised some flags, Monique is super green writer. She doesn't, like, there's no explanation on why specifically Evelyn Hugo is requesting this writer. So already we're raising some red flags. And so then Monique sits down and begins chatting with Evelyn and basically finds out that Evelyn is going to give her her tell-all. But it's not for an article, it's for a book. 
she wants to lay out her whole life story and has specifically chosen Monique to do it. And that includes all of her seven husbands in detail. A true, like, dirty tell-all, mm-hmm. you know? The good, the bad, the ugly from her perspective. And what I think is interesting here is that she pushes Monique to make sure that she is writing with Evelyn's voice in mind and Evelyn's truth and not putting her own spin on it Mm -hmm. throughout the course of this back and forth. So then you also run into this kind of moral dilemma now that Monique has been handed the, you know, option, the opportunity of a lifetime to write a tell all book about a famous actress and it's an exclusive uh but her job sent her there so she's kind of there now on false pretenses and she's kind of stuck with a conundrum on what on earth is she gonna do because she could lose her job that's tough that is yeah (laughs) i don't i was sitting there i was like oh no yeah and so then Basically, some of her husbands are good. Some of them are for love, or she thinks some of them end up being abusive. Some choose her to be arm candy. Some people she marries for publicity reasons because she knows that it will look good. She marries her best friend, Harry. And that was love in a different way but we find out that Evelyn's true love of her life is fellow actress Celia and Celia St. James such a fabulous name meant to be famous so Celia St. James is the real love of her life and how at that time she was unable to be true to herself and her identity and put that out into the world. So she made love in her own way. Yes. So it discusses throughout the course of the novel, her various marriages and throughout it, there's just this common thread of trying to figure out how to make her relationship with Celia work while also not outing them both. And, Throughout it, you do see a bit of the only time that Evelyn really expresses regret is by not taking a chance with Celia and coming out and just living their life. And I think there's points even there where she, in the time they were talking about not wanting to give up fame, not wanting to give up their lifestyle for each other. But then it turns out at the end of her life, Evelyn is just bereft. And that's like the only thing that she really wants. So sad. And so then we find out the connection between Monique and Evelyn. And as mentioned, Harry, her best friend, husband. And ex-husband. He was gay and had a lover who died and for publicity reasons was blamed and said to be a drunk driver and died in an accident. And Monique knew that never to be true for her father. So, but she just thought she didn't know him. And we find out that they pinned this on him to save their own face. And yeah, Monique's pissed. Rightfully so. Yes. So essentially the it's just a whole big framing scenario that you kind of expect with old Hollywood and Hollywood in general. It was a huge scandal and he's they pull Harry from the car, they remove Monica's father and put him in the driver's seat and they leave him because he's already dead according to what Evelyn knew and they just left him there to be kind of framed for this crime which is so upsetting and Harry and then in the end Harry passes away anyway so 
you know, it's all for naught, really. And Celia and Evelyn's daughter. Yes. So, so we do kind of get a, hap- a a moment of happily ever after. Um, Evelyn, Celia, and Evelyn's daughter, Connor, after Harry passes away, move to Spain. Along with Celia's brother, Robert, who is marries Evelyn under pretense so that Evelyn and Celia can be together. Um, so there's a lot of kind of like fake husbands that go on throughout the course of this novel. And this is kind of the last one. And this is, you know, the end, the end years in Spain and Celia passes away, but they do get kind of six happy years together as Celia's health declines and they're in their, they're older at that point in their lives and they're kind of no longer Hollywood starlets. And then Evelyn kills herself. (laughs) fast forward through the end of this you know Monique Evelyn reveals everything to Monique Monique gets Evelyn to agree she quote unquote Evelyn Hugo's Evelyn Hugo and barters with Evelyn to get her to do a story for the for the cover of her magazine so that she does not lose her job she barters with her boss to get a huge raise and a huge job promotion in exchange for this start this court cover story and at the very end of this story evelyn reveals to monique why she chose monique why she did this um monique comes back they do the cover story and evelyn is very much so saying her farewells and her goodbyes and evelyn commits suicide at the end of this book and monique publishes the introduction for her biography and her article finally disclosing you know the big bombshell that the true love of Evelyn's life was not a single one of her husband's but in fact her long-standing best friend Celia St. James such a good oh oh so as I have said as I've said I gasped on the plane and people looked at me it was when I found out that Harry's love was Monique's father just oh my goodness I I could foresee that Evelyn was not going to make it out of this like but I I could not for the life of me throughout the whole book figure out why Monique out of the seven husbands this is obvious for me at least who is your favorite and why and which husband surprised you the most well Harry is obviously the favorite because yeah I mean hands down on this on this podcast you know we've read a lot of books regarding love but we discuss different type of different types of love and it's various forms as it comes and I think that Evelyn and Harry's love for each other is such a beautiful depiction of how it's the family you choose in this life, not the family yeah. that you're born into because Evelyn has removed herself from, you know, her whole past and her heritage, which is a whole nother discussion point in itself. But she makes this family with Harry. She realizes that she loves him for him. That is her best friend. And she would do anything for him. They're just not really sexually attracted to each other. And... So, but they make their own family together by having Connor. And I just think that that in itself is just a beautiful, beautiful love story. Yeah. And I think it's obvious in the book as well. I mean, that's kind of her happiest section of her life is when she's married to Harry. Celia is married to her husband and like Harry and Celia's husband are in a relationship and Celia and Evelyn are together and like all four of them are this beautiful little family raising a child together and it's just this moment where everyone is out in the open with each other and it's like their little safe space in New York Mm -hmm. and I mean it all comes crashing down but those chapters where she's married to Harry are some of the happiest throughout the book 
where she is just herself. Yeah, I just, ugh. yeah. And like you said, we are exploring kind of, we realized this earlier today that we're exploring different types of love throughout the podcast. And the one that we've kind of enjoyed the most is familial and friendship love. And, you know, like you said, the family, the family we choose. And because I I think that there's such a focus in our lives of finding the right guy, gal, your soulmate, things like that, who you want to spend the rest of your life with. And absolutely, that's important, you know. But I think that on this quest, you know, for finding that love because we're supposed to do it, we kind of forget about the loves of our lives that we've made along the way you know and I think that that's such a a shame that like that's that uh, for me that's the proudest thing that I I was asked this in a job interview Mm -hmm. and I was being very candid and I just said I'm most proud of the relationships I've built in this life and it's true. And like, how lucky am I to have these great friends, this great family that I maintain? And I am the person that calls and harasses people. And oh, I do too. And I make them stay my friend because I <laughs> am a horrible person. Not really. I'm a really loving person, but people get annoyed. But I'm like, you will never not know that I. Did I put too many double negatives? You will know that I love you. If I love you, you will know. Yeah. And so I, I, I just loved that because that kind of resonated with me in a way that I, I could see bits of myself in that is just yeah the family you choose, the people you decide that you love in this life. And they're the yeah. most important to you. Man. Well, I can't say anything on top of that because that was beautiful. Oh. Uh, <laughs> so out of all of her husbands, who surprised you the most? I, I think I agree with you in her French filmmaker husband. Yes. Okay. So she married, she was married to Harry and I mean, obviously they were still happy and in love and had Connor, but so she was being wooed by French filmmaker Max Gerard, who they did several films together throughout her career. And he begins to woo her and sending her bouquets of roses, asking her to leave Harry, her husband, asking her to be with him. And she gets swept up in the romance and thinks this could, this could be love. And he tells her that he loves her. And, you know, you kind of have that moment. She tells Harry, like, I want to marry him. I I think I have a real shot at this. I have a real shot at love. And her and Celia had broken up and were no longer together. And she goes for it. And he turns out to just be awful and treats her like an object. And she is like the arm candy, the shiny actress on his arm. It increases his renown. He's more popular. He's invited to everything. And she says, like, I think you're caught up in being the husband of Evelyn Hugo. And it has nothing to do with actually being in love with me. And I think that's just tragic to me. Because I was really hoping, I mean, obviously, I was really hoping she would get another shot at love outside of her relationship with Celia. Because at this point, you kind of think that their relationship is dead. And she does, too. And, of course, this is from Evelyn's point of view. So, you know, she's your perspective is their relationship is over. This could be her last chance. And he's just the worst. Yeah. Not the worst, but he's just like disappointing. Yeah. Let's yeah. see what his, what his title description is real quick. Cause if it's disappointing, I'm going to laugh. Uh, each, each husband chapter is they're given kind of a moniker before their name. So we have like, goddamn Don Adler, um gullible eddie diaz so let's see who 
agreeable Robert Jameson. Do, 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 do. Where's Max? I'm flipping through my novel real quick. Do, do. I'm almost there because it's late in the book. Disappointing Max Gerard. I'm not even kidding. It's right there she, on she, the page. She hit the nail Just on the head. Appointing Max Gerard. Uh, yeah. And I mean, even we do get, you know, the happy moment of towards the end of her marriage with Max. Uh, he, she does rekindle her romance with Celia St. James. So we do at least get that from her. For her. But yeah. Who is your, uh. Well, you just agreed with me. So. Yeah, I, I agreed with you. <laughs> I agreed with you. I because at that point, and honestly, like if I went back and reread it, maybe I would have a different opinion. But I think, I think he is the most surprising because at that point in the book, you've been through some husbands, and yeah, you've gotten. And I mean- You've gotten to know Evelyn and her love for Celia. And so at that point, I feel like it's so surprising because you you want that for her. And so it's just like when it doesn't work out, it's just like, man, come on, you know? And so I think that that the positioning of him in her life is why it is most surprising not so much who he is, you know, as a person or anything. It's just like where she is in her journey and how he fits into that journey. And it could have been so positive, but in the end, it's so negative. Disappointing. Disappointing. So, yeah, I agree. Oh, <laughs> just gross. Mm-hmm. I'm just upset for her. Um, So at some point throughout this book, Monique kind of discusses that being around Evelyn and hearing her story gets her more feisty. Like she's asking for what she wants. She's putting her foot down. She's standing up for herself. She's being strong. Uh, And she says that she has to Evelyn Hugo, Evelyn Hugo. So... You know, and Evelyn does what, like, throughout this whole book, it's a story of a woman in times when women didn't have the same rights and weren't treated the same way, particularly in Hollywood and throughout all that. Um, You know, she has to fight tooth and nail to get what she wants. She has to negotiate by any means necessary. Uh, Use the tabloids, use the press, use her fellow actors and actresses producers directors all of it um so what does it mean to evelyn hugo and have you ever evelyn hugoed mm. well the thing that i will comment on this is that i think as women we are taught to be agreeable yeah and I think that the major lesson that Monique learns from her is maybe not being so agreeable, asking for what she actually wants in this life. You know, she's going through this end of a marriage and realizes that she she doesn't want it. She thinks she wants it the whole time. And then she sits back and... It's more she hates that she failed at something more than she hates that her husband's not there. Exactly. And so she doesn't need to be with him. And it would be easy for her to get back with him, especially when he comes back, you know, but she doesn't want that. She doesn't need that. And, you know, with her job, asking for the race, asking for the promotion. And I just think that that is, you know... That's what Evelyn Hugoing is, you know, is getting what you want because Evelyn has gotten what she has wanted and needed throughout her life by making tough decisions, maybe not being the most likable, maybe not being the most agreeable, but finding her path in her career 
because she wasn't afraid to ask for what she wanted. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, Monique had to sit there and take a page out of Evelyn's book and say, okay, wait, like I'm doing this for you because you asked me to do it, but I may get fired. Yeah. So yeah, you're giving me this tell all, but, and maybe in the long term that'll help me, but short term, I don't want to lose my job. Like I like my job. So I'm going to get what I want out of this. Yeah. This is not all about you. This is about me too. And so. Which I think is impressive because that is so hard to do, especially in that situation where it was set up where Evelyn had all of the power and like the power situation there was completely off, you know? It completely skewed in Evelyn's favor and Monique was able to Evelyn Hugo the situation because Evelyn starts from nothing where she has nothing um, to barter with and Monique was able to figure out how to make that work to get what she needed and what she wanted from the situation. Proud of Monique. Get it, Monique. I need a little bit more of that in my life, to be honest. Mm Mm-hmm. But I mean, I think that that's like a great thing, you know, if that's what we take away, you know, really one of the takeaways from this book is ask for what you want, ask for what you deserve and knowing that you have the power to make the changes in your life to get where you want to be. Yeah, that that's a beautiful takeaway. Absolutely. I mean, I, I hope to Evelyn Hugo in my life. Yeah, I I hope I think everyone has a little bit of Evelyn Hugo in there. If you can just unlock it, drink some mama so and put on a ball gown and tell me how you feel. I mean, I really want a green dress now. Oh, it made I don't even wear green, and it made me want to go get a green ball gown, like an emerald green. Like, oh yes, please. Well, I need a ball to go to if I'm having an emerald green ball gown. Just go to a red carpet event that doesn't exist because of COVID. So just basically like get a red table runner and put it down my hallway. Yes. (laughs) All right. That's what I want. Oh, yes. All right. Well, I think on that, that's a beautiful note to kind of end on. So before we do wrap up, because I do agree that that's a good place to, to end on. But I do have one question for you. Do you think that Evelyn is a reliable narrator because this is all from her perspective the seven husbands of evelyn hugo the husbands don't say anything celia doesn't say anything everyone's dead so do you think she's reliable in the recounting of this life so yes and no because she even calls herself out that she is so used to lying to get her way that it's difficult for her to open up to Monique and tell Monique the full truth. And for it to be a biography, it needs to have a a ring of truth in it. And so in a way, yes, I think she is truthful in that it is her story and so what we're tr- what it truly is supposed to be is a narrative of her story, but also no, because it's skewed from her perspective. And I, I think that she admits a lot of her faults, which, you know, leads me to believe that maybe she's more reliable because she's not afraid to put in the ugly Yeah, I mean, then she, you know, at the end, she knows she's going to die. So she has nothing to lose. Right. So I think that's my other point for maybe she is a little bit more reliable than she would be otherwise due to what does she have to gain from lying? Right. And I I guess the, the only thing to say to that is, you know, is the, the big question of, well, is anybody actually a reliable narrator? Because inherently nothing is not biased. 
Yeah. I mean, clearly she's going to have a bias that what she did, she did because she had to, because there was no other way. In the places where there was another way, but she wouldn't have gotten what she wanted, she's very open about that. So I agree. I think that anytime we get a narrative, it is going to carry with it some bias. Oof. <laughs> and I I just I love I love the way love is painted in this book. I love the way love is painted. It's complicated, it's messy, it's beautiful, but it's also difficult I think the fact that it's not all sunshines and rainbows it's not you know birds singing it's a kissing in the coat closet hiding yourself but also like doing what you have to for love I just I just think it's very beautiful along with this beautiful portrayal of friendship mm-hmm. and familial bonds that you create outside of actual family it's just beautiful great book enjoyed great book thank you taylor jenkins reed we appreciate <laughs> thank you so you. much so we hope you guys enjoyed this book we really did i thought it was a great way to kind of dissect and there's a ton of stuff we haven't talked about uh we haven't talked about evelyn's um ethnic background as well as monique's ethnic background that's such a big talking point there so if you want to delve into the blog post and go back and forth with us on that. That's something that we would love to discuss with you guys, but we're out of time. So, I mean, there's just so much to do. I think there's so many amazing portrayals of women in different phases of their life in this book. I feel like it was a great choice for Women's History Month. Absolutely, because this shows this shows the multiple facets of women and their power and awesomeness in different ways you know there there's no there's one no one right way to be a woman no being who you are is right because you are being yourself and so I, I I loved that it celebrated ladies in that way oh yeah so we hope you guys loved it too uh tag us on instagram and twitter with your book uh at decanterberry pod if you have any suggestions, please shoot us an email or send it to the blog. That's decanterburypod at gmail.com. And hit us up on decanterburytales.com. You can submit a form on our website, join our email list. We don't send very many emails, so we won't bother you too much. Um, but yeah, you know, enjoy the website. If you are enjoying our podcast, like, subscribe, write us a review. That's, you know, how we get shown to other people. So we appreciate everyone's support. We are, you know, just kind of humbled by all this. It's just really great to kind of connect with people and we hope you guys are enjoying it. Are you guys ready to announce and hear our book for next month? Our April book is Outlawed by Anna North. Outlawed by Anna North. And so we'll have some fantastic content coming. Oh, goodness. That was a good book, too. That was a good book, too. It's also a good strong lady book. So I guess that's our theme right now. Maybe that should just be our theme in general is just like strong ladies left and right. Strong ladies. Strong ladies. That's what we're here for. Well, yeah, so enjoy your bottle of Mama So, put on a ball gown, and finish up reading The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. And go grab your copy of Outlawed by Anna North and get reading for next month. Oh, that's a sexy book cover. Oh, it's such a sexy book cover. Oh, we'll talk about that more later. Yep. So bottoms up, you guys. Stay weird. <laughs>